Gina Della from Pella. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 555's been extended, but only through October 31st. See PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I have to admit that it's always sort of interesting to see people who rush to do things based on political correctness of the moment and how sometimes in that rush they end up screwing things up. The Cleveland Indians have announced that in the near future they are not going to be the Cleveland Indians anymore because they have faced objections, of course, from uh, Native American, the Native American community. And just like the Washington Redskins decided they weren't going to be the Washington Redskins anymore, the Indians decided they weren't going to be the Indians, despite the fact that they've been the Indians essentially since they formed a baseball team. But that's okay. This is the world we live in nowadays. So they want to change the name because some people feel that they would be offended by it. Okay, great. So they got to come up with a new name. And we talked about this a few months ago. They decided the Indians were now going to become the Guardians, the Cleveland Guardians. And it's really, it's kind of obscure, but if you ever travel to Cleveland, there's a couple big bridges that they have there, and they have these giant stone things that are on the bridges, and they are referred to by locals as the Guardians. So the former, the organization formerly known as the Cleveland Indians decided, okay, well, we, we've got, you know, people at least around here refer to the, these bridges. They will know what the Guardians mean, even though nobody else does. So we'll, we'll be the Cleveland Guardians. Okay, fine. And you can agree with whether that's a good name or not. But there's a problem with this. And the problem is there's already a Cleveland Guardians. There is a roller derby team that operates in Cleveland that calls themselves, well, actually, they operate in the Cleveland suburb of Parma, Ohio, and they call themselves the Cleveland Guardians. They have been called the Cleveland Guardians since 2013, and perhaps even more significantly, they registered the name Cleveland Guardians with the Ohio Secretary of State in 2017, so they have trademark protection. All right, so here's what appears happened. So the organization soon to no longer be known as the Cleveland Indians decides we've got the the Cleveland Guardians. Okay, then apparently... Somebody must have found out, oops, we don't have the rights to that name. So what they tried to do first in an exercise that appears to me to be too clever by half, what they originally did is they decided that they were going to trademark the the name. They they filed a trademark application. Well, the problem is, in Ohio, it's already trademarked. The the, the roller derby team has this. So the Major League Baseball team, according to a lawsuit, went to a small East African island nation. I think you pronounce it Mauritius, but I I could be wrong. M-A-U-R-I-T-I-U-S. This is is Major League Baseball. They go to trademark the name in a small East African island nation. 
East African Island Nation. I believe it's a British protectorate. But they, they do this so nobody would know that they were doing this, including like the roller derby team. Well, then apparently some lawyers must have said, well, you still got this problem here because no, even if you filed this application in this, this small country in East Africa, you, you still got to deal with the fact that the local roller derby team has this, this name trademarked. So... What they do at that point in time, after they've tried to kind of sneak through this trademark application thing at the small East African country, then they start negotiating with the, the roller derby club. And apparently they, they offered them like almost nothing to give up the rights to the name. They, they've already got the roller derby team, for example, is, is the ClevelandGuardians.com. They've registered the website. They've been operating here. Apparently the Indians, uh, form the organization formerly known as the Indians, this Decided that what they were going to do is they would like lowball them and essentially ignore their trademark rights. And they have been blasting ahead with plans to call themselves the Cleveland Guardians, even though they don't have the rights to the name. And now this has resulted in a federal lawsuit, which was filed earlier this week. And candidly, um, I, I think this is one of those where if I'm representing the the Cleveland organization, formerly known as the Cleveland Indians, my comment is. You did what? You you decided to pick a name without checking to determine whether we could get the rights to that name? You decided to pick a name without, like, running one of these trademark checks to determine whether or not there might be somebody else who owned the rights to this particular name? And then you just went ahead and, and did it, regardless of whether or not these people had a pre-existing name? Bottom line is, it's just that this whole process has been incredibly screwed up, but it does go to show you that, all right, sometimes we've got to change the name. We've got to change the name. We've got to change the name. But you decide to change the name and hold contests without doing your homework. A lot of times things blow up. All right. As I said in the introduction to the program, there are in, in urban cities, particularly in the north, there are a lot of things that voters will put up with. For example, in Milwaukee, we put up with a lousy public school system. In Milwaukee, we put up with unacceptable levels of crime. Did I mention that somewhere between 28 and 30 cars are stolen a day on the mean streets of Milwaukee? We put up with violent crime that is out of control. Looks like we're on pace for another 200 murders in the city of Milwaukee. That is absolutely unthinkable. We put up with reckless driving so that you essentially take your life into your own hands. Literally, Almost every time you are crossing the street, because you don't know when that 16-year-old driving the stolen car after stealing seven, eight, nine, ten other cars is going to blow through the red light and hit and kill you or somebody that you know. But we, we put up with all that. We put up with lead in the water. We put up with lack of jobs. We put up with economic segregation. We put up with all that stuff. And we keep electing the same people over and over again. There is one thing, though, that voters... I don't think in northern cities will put up with, and the history of elections bear that out, and that is an inability to get snow off the roads. If you look at mayors in urban cities in the north that have lost their jobs, a lot of times it comes down to they screwed up the snow plowing, couldn't get the streets plowed in an efficient fashion, and that because that really hits home. I mean, you know, in many respects, unless 
your car is stolen, it's sort of an abstract thing. You don't want your car to be stolen, but it doesn't directly affect you. It always happens to somebody else. Well, when the streets don't get plowed and you know you can't get out to go to work for two or three days, that affects you and affects you in a big way. And if your alderman can't deliver, he or she is going to be out on the streets. And if the mayor can't deliver, that's what brings mayors down, which is why City Hall is in a tizzy right now. Um, there are about in the city of Milwaukee, DPW, there are about 260 positions that um, are created for people to drive snow plows in the winter. And, and to drive a snow plow, you need a commercial driver's license. It's not like you can take just, you know, any 18-year-old off the street and put them behind the wheel of snow plow. You need to have a CDL, which takes an investment of money and an investment of time. There's 200 and approximately 260 positions that are budgeted for this. Over the last three years, DPW has lost 129 employees. Um, and this isn't just people who've retired. Um, actually, about 50 of those 129 employees have left within one year, and, and they've just said that this is not this is not for us. And there's a lot of reasons behind this, including I don't know the irregular work hours, including the fact that you know you might have long shifts because you go for a period of time where you're not needed to do things, and then all of a sudden, hey, we've got a we we gear, we've got this snow, uh, we've got a snowstorm that is coming in. Part of it is the people that drive the snowplows also drive the garbage trucks, and they don't want this. But the city is desperate because they are way down on the number of snowplow drivers they have. So what they're considering doing is raising the salary. Right now, the minimum salary, the starting salary for somebody to come in, have to have a CDL, and drive a snowplow is $19.54. They're looking at raising that to $22.13. And that's, essence, you know, bumping it a little less than 3 bucks an hour, but bumping it, thinking that by increasing the salary, increasing the hourly wage, that's going to help us attract more drivers. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will this work? And if it won't work, what do they have to do to get people to clear the streets? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Well, if you've tried to go to a restaurant lately, you, you've noticed that um, a lot of restaurants cutting back on their hours because they can't find help. Um, if you walk through any sort of strip mall shopping center, pretty much everywhere you go, you see signs and windows saying we need help. That that's not a unique thing. And that's a larger question about why people aren't aren't working. And there's a, a variety of reasons for that. Is it because the government's making it easier for people not to work? Is it because the pandemic has gotten people used to not working? All sorts of different factors that are there, but it just doesn't change the fact that jobs need to be done. When it comes to winter in Wisconsin, 
Getting the streets cleared is, I think you can make an argument, if it's not priority one, it's priority 1A or 1B. You know, when it snows, you need to have snowplow drivers that are out to do it. The Milwaukee DPW is already saying we've got a huge shortage of snowplow drivers. And the ones that we've hired over the last three years, and pe- people have left. They're, they're, they're bailing. People come to work, and then they don't stay. So one of the solutions is let's raise the starting pay $2.75 an hour. We think that that might make it more competitive with similar jobs jobs in the private sector. And, of course, you know, plus you get all the, the benefits and stuff you get for working for a municipality. Will $2.75 an hour increase do it? I am extremely skeptical. I think there's a lot larger issues going on. 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, Dennis in Green Bay. Dennis, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Well, just think... Just to fill you in, I work for a large school bus company statewide, so I have a huge terminal in Milwaukee. I cannot put anybody in their driver's seats. Right now, we are running a third of what we did before the pandemic. Right. And these kids are not getting to school. So now you're going to tell me your city is going to steal more of my drivers. (laughs) My drivers have CDLs. Right. Well, I guess my question: what, what did you, you say? What, you, what did you say? You're paying your drivers to start. I'm just curious. What'd you say? Twenty dollars, twenty dollars an hour starting, plus two thousand dollars sign-on bonus. Okay, and what? I'm just curious. What is it for somebody? If I've been driving for you for five years, what? What? What's kind? Of, what's sort of the top end that I could make? That's what you make. Oh, so it's twenty bucks an hour. Period. Yeah. Got it. Okay. All right. I got it. Understood. So it, 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 it might it might be up more, but. Right. So you think that there would be if they up it to like 22 bucks an hour, you think that people would be inclined to stop driving the, your school buses and, and jump ship over to uh, the DPW? Yes, I definitely think that's going to happen because it's already happened with uh, Milwaukee Transit. Mm-hmm. I've lost my drivers to Milwaukee Transit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just driving up the cost for everybody. And I don't know what to do about it. But somebody better figure out the federal government, because right now, when you have a CDL, you're limited on hours. Right, right. And it's getting tougher. So if you're, you're a truck... Go ahead. If you're a truck driver, you can't do part-time snow removal at night. You can't... There's not enough hours in, in your clock. Right. And my understanding is the federal government's making it tougher to get your C, starting like I think early part of next year, the requirements to get the CDL, CDL license are tougher. So it's going to be harder for people to get it if they want it. Right. And the, and the test is so difficult for a poor person trying to take a school bus test. They don't know what a slack adjuster is or anything underneath a truck is. Right. And yet that test is the same test for a snowplow driver as a truck driver as a bus driver because the DMV doesn't want to do multiple tests. They just want to do one test for everybody. Got it. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 855-616-1620. Well, that, that's another interesting potential effect that you, you might have other people who jump. I, I think it's more complicated than that. I Candidly, I think the reason... I, will, will will people okay? Will, will an extra two bucks an hour make a job more attractive? Well, sure. I'm not, I'm not dumb. I get that, but I think it's a much broader problem. And I would be honestly surprised if just started bringing up the starting wage by two dollars or two dollars and fifty cents or whatever it's going to be, whether that's suddenly going to 
result in, in a huge wave of people signing up. Let's talk to Kevin and Racine. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Kevin. Um, so, like you were saying, too, um, about obtaining your CDL, uh, that's going to get, you know, a little bit more difficult, I believe, in February, where now um, you're not, you can't just go into the DMV, you know, get your temps, and then, you know, practice driving with either your company or whoever, and then take your test through a third party, you're actually going to have to go through, you know, a DOT, I, right. I believe it's a week-long class to actually obtain your license. Right. And whether that's, you know, either over-the-road semi-truck driving to where you got to learn how to do driver logs or Class B, it's going to be one standard class. Um, and I think it would be really helpful, you know, if the companies, if, if, if you're a, a hired employee and you want to do snow removal or drive a bus, or whatever, have the company, you know, set aside some time for you to do this class, pay you to go to this class. That way it's not you paying for it out of pocket. Yeah. You know, the other thing, Kevin, too, I mean, there, look, working, for example, working as a snowplow driver, it, it, it can really be a thankless job. Now, our first call was talk about school bus driver, and, and that, that's a whole different animal. But at least with a school bus driver, you, you've sort of got regular hours, and you know, okay, i got to pick the kids up. My route mm-hmm. starts at 6 in the morning, and I'm done by 10. And then this, you know, I think part of the thing that makes, for example, the snowplow driving less attractive is you get that call. Hey, the storm is coming. We want you out on the road at 1 a.m. in the morning and, you know, be prepared to drive for however many hours they let you drive. It's that irregularity that I'm sure makes it unappealing to some people exactly and i like i was still on your screener i've got a couple buddies who work for the racine county and mount pleasant county to do snow removal and it's not obviously it's not as big as you know driving in the city of milwaukee and and doing the streets there but still it it gets down to hours i mean right and they're young guys they're in their their, their late 20s but still they're not going to want to go to work at you know six at night and then be out until, like you said, 10 in the morning, and then go home, maybe sleep for five hours, and then be expected to go and do it again for possibly another 12 hours. Yeah, it, it's a and thanks. It, it's a thankless job that and that, that goes beyond money, which tells me. I mean, you start to wonder whether the answer is: Does the city have to, you know, reach out and rely on on more more contracts with with private, you know, industry than the, as opposed to just simply trying to compete? And don't get me wrong; I, I'm not against if they, if they think they want to pay people like two dollars and fifty cents more an hour. I, I think you also have to raise the the maximum wage. I mean, if right now the the rate the wage range is say you start at 19 or 20 and you max out around 27 well if you up the minimum wage you also have to i think up the maximum wage or else people are going to be heading out the door but i think it's more than money lamar in orlando lamar you're on wtmj hey jeff thanks for taking my call um so, so having drove for public transit there um one of the one of the one of the attractions to uh working for the city was you know in the county is not just the pay it's the stability and the benefits the benefits um you know had i stayed you know longer i was i could i could have retired there early um the benefits were amazing and we took that away so it's not just the money because even if you make a decent wage you kind of trade that in for the crazy schedules mm-hmm. you know and uh or rather, check that. Even if you make a decent wage, it's the, ben- the having not having benefits. That's kind of eroded for when you get hurt or sick and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. you know your your insurance is something expensive. Right. Um, and but so you kind of trade that in. You so I'll take less money, 
and just get enough to support my family and live a okay life. But I want the good benefits because that's why you stay the long term. Because as you get older, those become much more important than just the money. Right. Because, you know, you can work overtime and make the money, but it's the benefits. And those are just gone. Right. And so there's nothing drawing in that, that group of people that, you know, well, that's going to stay at a job. Because right. younger, I don't even want to talk about the younger employees. I don't want to throw them <laughs> under the bus. Right. No pun intended. No pun intended. The reality yeah. is they're just not going to be drawn to these kind of jobs. But the working class that are going to do these jobs, they need those benefits. So if you're going to want people to do it, especially those that have, C, that have a CDL that can drive an over-the-road truck and make a hundred grand easily, right. you're going to have to draw them in with just more than money. Thanks to call. Appreciate it. Let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, I'm a municipal snowplow driver. We're shorthanded all over. It's going to get worse, though. The CDL, that's commercial driver's license, the tests are ridiculously expensive as well. We used to be able to train people in-house, then have the person take the test. Can't do that next year. I'm telling you, this is a mess. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, I want to make a correction, something I've been saying over the last couple of weeks. So I want to be completely candid here. I've been saying that on average on the mean streets of Milwaukee every day, 30 cars are stolen. Well, I just I, I went back and I I, I I do the most recent math number of days. And it's been about 301 days so far this year. And the most recent number of carjackings, although that might be of, of car thefts, which might be a little bit slow. And I want to stand corrected. It, it's not. 30 cars a day stolen on the mean streets of Milwaukee. No, it's it's 29 cars a day. 28.82 precisely. But I think it's fair to round up. 29 cars a day stolen uh, on the streets of Milwaukee, which to me is just absolutely and totally, it, it's a staggering number. And that doesn't include the, the shootings that are related to the carjackings and things of the like. All right, well, the, the latest story that's now gotten the attention of some politicians is the fact that for the second time in a couple years, you had a a city employee, a Milwaukee Housing Authority inspector, who was shot in connection with a a carjacking. The incident happened 10 a.m. Tuesday morning in the 5,000 block of North 48th Street. So again, this isn't something that occurs at 2 in the morning. This is is 10 a.m., on the city streets and apparently she's working for the city she she gets back into her car and somebody that they say she had an initial interaction with tries to steal the car and start shooting at her she ends up driving away and um, ultimately I mean thankfully I guess she's she's hit you know, in, in the hail of gunfire, um, as she's trying to drive off, the gunman opens fire, several shots, and, and I guess the, the good news, to the extent there is any good news, is she's hit in the shoulder, but she's not, she, she's not killed. She's able to drive herself to the hospital and get, get treated. And now, because appropriately so, it's a city of Milwaukee employee, and, and people are, distressed about this. You know, one of the aldermen from the area, Michael Murphy, says it's frightening. A public servant just trying to be out there, make a difference in helping improve our city and their lives can be shattered in such a violent moment. And of course, the alderman has a, a very, very good point. But of course, the larger point is this is something that happens 
multiple times a day on the streets of Milwaukee. And I acknowledge that it's getting its attention because this is a city employee, and this has, it kind of echoes the, the situation you might remember of what happened back in 2017 when you had the city building inspector who was um, shot to death following an inspection on North 23rd and West Cher- Cherry Street in, in 2017. And, and he this was part of a carjacking, too. He, he was in his own personal car. So on the one hand, I, I'm, I'm glad, and it's certainly appropriate, that Milwaukee politicians are, are upset and disturbed that this city employee, you know, got shot while she was performing her duties as part of this, you know, it, it involved in a crime. And and they have every right to be outraged about that. My other question, though, is th- this happens multiple times a day, every day. Don't you think we should be as outraged about all of that happening? And, and maybe we should be looking at figuring out what we do which again, let let's let's get these people that are committing crimes with guns. Let's get them off the street. Let's put them away for a long period of time. That would be, a, I think, a positive step, not just to uh, again reduce the chances that a city employee is going to get shot during a carjacking, but reduce the chances that any law-abiding citizen at ten in the morning isn't going to have people just shooting at them randomly because they want the car. All right, that, so I, that's my, my first comment on this, that th- this is rather than, I think, necessarily focusing just on, gee, it was a city employee that got carjacked, because that's definitely terrible, but maybe we need to be outraged about all the carjackings that, that are going on, all the people that, you know, in a grocery store parking lot and have somebody come up and stick a gun in their face and want to take the, the their cars. Th- that, I think, is, is the first issue. But if we just talk about city employees... I guess I realized this after that 2017 incident, but the city employees, when they're out doing their jobs, in many cases, they're driving their own personal vehicles. And these personal vehicles are not in any way marked. So they're, you know, it's, it's, you work for the city. You're given the option, you want to take your own personal vehicle. I assume they pay mileage, don't know, but it doesn't matter. So they're out there in their own personal cars. No city markings at all. And one of the things that they're looking at is, well, okay, maybe we need to stop that. At least, at least we have to do one of two things. Either put them in official city cars or maybe somehow figure out a way to mark the personal cars to indicate that, you know, this is an official city of Milwaukee employee. You know, maybe it could be something like, I don't know, those big those big metallic like logos that they have with the city of Milwaukee that you, you put on the side of it that you, you take off. But the idea being maybe from the perspective of city employees, maybe they would be less likely targets if you allowed them to at least identify their vehicles as city vehicles, thinking that maybe the bad guys would be less likely to try to carjack official public vehicles. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would something like that make city employees safer? 855-616-1620. I think it's something that might be worth trying because 
Look, I, I understand criminals around here are brazen. Criminals around here don't care about pretty much anything, and they know that there's not going to be consequences for behavior. But something does tell me if it was an official public vehicle, maybe they'd be less likely to go and provoke a confrontation. Now, of course, the downside of that is that that just means that they'll go one block over and find a private vehicle that they're going to steal as well, which is why the ultimate answer is getting these people off the streets. But that's the larger question. All right, would, would identifying the vehicles as city vehicles make them make those employees a little bit safer 855-616-1620 jeff wagner on wtmj Eight five five six one six one six twenty. that's the i can't mortgage talk and text line all right to all these people who are tweeting in do, do you know who you're sending texts to in <laughs> this idea? Well, don't, no, we, we, we've got to get tougher on criminals. Don't you realize? Y- yeah. If you listen to the show on a daily basis, I, I completely agree. Crime is completely and totally out of control. We have a mayor in the city who's two feet out the door waiting for the Senate to confirm him to send him to Luxembourg. He's got no ideas on crime. We've got a common council that has got no ideas on crime. And the ideas that they have are, are largely bad because they've, in many cases, decided to throw in with the anti-police, oh, let's play, have these thugs play midnight basketball crowd. Nobody's willing to hold judges unaccountable when they issue poor sentences. The police are frustrated because they catch people, and what they see is that time and time again, you catch them and they're back out on the street four hours later committing the same crimes. So believe me, I, I understand big picture solution here is to try to, you know, let, let's take the people that are committing violent crimes. Let's stop letting them pass go. Let's stop giving them $200. Let's stop putting them back out on the street to terrorize law-abiding citizens. Let's send them to prisons. And if that means we've got to build more prisons, that's fine. And if it means we end up and you look at the numbers and we're sending two more than a fair share of this type of person or that type of person to prison, too bad. The message is don't commit crimes. Don't carjack people. Don't shoot people. Don't steal cars and drive recklessly. That, that to me, is the ultimate answer. But, of course, we're a long ways from that, unfortunately, in our society today. I'm just saying, okay, for city employees... Would it be a good idea if you no longer allowed them to use their personal vehicles when they're out and about, or at the very least you took like one of those magnetic things and had them put it on their vehicles, identifying that as a public vehicle? Would that make it less likely that somebody might come up and start taking pot shots at them or trying to steal their cars? Let's start with Gianni in Montello. Hi, Gianni. Yeah, uh, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, listen, of course it would make uh, city workers safer, but that doesn't solve the underlying problem that we have one hell of a crime problem in the United States. I mean, you know, as first world countries go, um, I don't think most cities the size of Milwaukee have 30 cars stolen every every day. So, you know, I, I, I think, yes, it, w- it would make the workers safer, but it's kind of a Band-Aid approach. Now, yeah. what we need to do, Jeff, is figure out, um, look around the world and, um, you know, ask, ask ourselves, is there a foreign model that works in the United States or will work? in the United States when it works abroad. I mean, you look at, uh, you, you've, been, you've spent time traveling in the world. You look at Europe. Um, what, what is, uh, you know, what, what is the, their uh, 
uh, solution to this problem, or China? What is their solution to this problem? Well, Singapore, Singapore canes people. <laughs> you know, we don't do that well, here. I mean, we're, not, yeah. we're not going full draconian here, Draco, but um, no, the, the, listen, this is totally unacceptable, and while it will make, make uh, you know, employers safer, um, it's a Band-Aid, and it doesn't solve the, I, the initial problem that no one seems to want to address down I, there in Milwaukee. I, I, Jenny, and I, I don't disagree with that. You're, you're right. This, this is, I think that's a good way to do it. it it's a Band-Aid. But, in, and you make a very good point, and right, there is this larger point that we are not serious about dealing with crime. We, we don't have, pol- we have politicians that every time there's a, a terrible situation, the loss of life, where you have the 16-year-old kid who's stolen the car, driven 95 miles an hour, and hit and killed some innocent person who's standing by the side of the road, we talk about it. The, the case that, that still, there's so many that haunt me, but the one that we talked about last week, the four kids, 13, 14, 14, two 15-year-olds stealing a car out of the parking lot at the uh, Holiday Inn Express out by Mayfair. 46-year-old woman from um, an immigrant. Um, Nigeria, I think, is where she's from. In any case, she, she confronts them, catches them, their reaction instead of running away. The 13-year-old, this is the 13-year-old, his reaction is to pull her out of her car, throw her on the ground, get in her car, and then drive over her multiple occasions, leaving her for dead. The 13, the 14, and the two 15-year-olds, then they steal, they've got her purse, they use her credit card to buy stuff at Walmart, then they buy, like, paint, and they're trying to change the color of the car. These are monsters. They're they're monsters. And, of course, what's happening in Milwaukee is is it's only the 13-year-old that's going to be waived into adult court, or they're going to try. But you've got the juvenile judges. For example, the 15-year-old that shot seven or eight people at Mayfair a year ago, he's being tried in juvenile court. Oh, we're not going to send him to adult court. It's a joke what we do when we deal with crime. So I, I you're, you know, you're preaching to the choir when I say that. And, and yeah, identifying cars as, as city employees and stuff, that, that's a Band-Aid. But at the same time, it might be a Band-Aid that ends up making sense if we are concerned about allowing these city employees, if we're concerned that these city employees who are as a course in the course of their jobs sent into high-risk neighborhoods as a consequence of trying to perform their, their jobs and they're being victimized, maybe just maybe identifying it as a public car would be a good step. I'm not saying that that's going to be the solution. You're right. Everybody is right. I don't know. The real solution is to get these criminals off the street. But unfortunately, the mayor, again, he's, he's out of ideas. He's already thinking about what he's going to have for dinner when he gets to Luxembourg. The politicians, all the people who want to be mayor, don't want to irritate certain vocal sections of the community who believe that tougher on crime and broken windows law enforcement is not the way to go and want to defund the police department and things like that. And unfortunately, too much of that attitude goes on in the courthouse and too much of that attitude goes on in the DA's office. And meanwhile, people are dying on a regular basis in the streets of Milwaukee. I would think, though, marking the cars probably would not hurt. 
And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. This week's sponsor for the Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Ridgetop Exteriors, specializing in roofing, siding, and windows. Do not miss out on the Ridgetop Advantage and contact Ridgetop Exteriors today. Give them a call at 414-244-9416 or visit them at RidgetopExteriorsMKE.com. You know, the, the one thing a number of people are also you know, pointing out, and this is another one that maybe cuts both ways. Um, if in the city of Milwaukee, people are saying, well, what about concealed carry? In the city of Milwaukee, at least unless things have changed dramatically, I don't think they have, public employees are not allowed concealed carry. So I guess the question becomes, gee, if you mark people in the cars, if the cars are marked, will the bad guys automatically realize that's somebody who doesn't have a firearm and can't protect themselves? Maybe the, the better way to do that is something that I think the city should have investigated on a long time ago, which is for the workers that it puts in dangerous situations by sending Sending them out into the community, maybe what they should do is not force them, but give them the option as to whether or not they would like to avail themselves of concealed carry. Just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, I think the one thing we can say is when it comes to President Joe Biden, the honeymoon is definitely over. Uh, And look, I I understand that there's lots of people who are skeptical about polls. And I think, you know, one of the things we know from the last couple of elections is when it comes to Donald Trump, polls do a poor job of picking up Trump support. But that doesn't mean that you just discount them. And it doesn't mean that polls, especially on other issues where people are maybe a little less likely to lie about how they feel and things like that, I think that they're kind of indicative. And if you look at this, one of the things you can see is that uh, Joe Biden is is struggling. Matter of fact, uh, other than Donald Trump, Joe Biden has the lowest approval ratings of any president in recent times, in modern times, at this stage of of his presidency. You know, so essentially one year in. I was just looking at a lot of the, I just, for example, I pulled up, oh, about a dozen polls that were conducted between um, October 1st and yesterday. So th- these are all polls from various times in October. The average, if you ask, do you approve of the job Biden is doing versus do you disapprove, the average spread, he is underwater by 9.7 points. The average approval rate is 42.4. The average disapproval rate is 52.1. And in, in it varies. Um, Rasmussen, which tends to be more of a Republican poll, that has it 57 to 42. That's a poll that they just took over the last couple of days. That's a spread of 15. That strikes me as a little bit large. Uh, the Economist poll has it 49 disapproved, 45 approved. Um, Politico has it 51, 46 approved versus disapproved. That's a five-point spread. And, 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 you know, it goes up and down. But, you know, Depending on what the poll is, most of them have Biden underwater somewhere between 5 and 10 points. It averages out to 9.7. So why has the bloom come off the Biden rose? Well, I think there's a lot of factors. I I, I said before, I don't think there was a huge 
support for Joe Biden as president. I, I think Joe Biden is going to go down in history as being the anti-Trump. I, I think what happened is you had a lot of Democratic voters who decided, and, and independents, who had soured on the, the chaos of President Trump. They, they didn't like a lot of the things he did, and they, they were willing to you know run through brick walls to vote against him. It wasn't so much a vote of, gosh, we think Joe Biden's the greatest thing since canned beer. That, that, that wasn't the case. It was, we're going to vote you know, against Trump. And that worked. Biden is now the president. Early on in the Biden administration, he had a sort of a halo around him. First of all, he, he wasn't Trump. Okay, so it was a different style. Secondly, at least initially, there was a perception that things that Biden was doing were, were helping us dig out of the COVID pandemic. Well, all right, what, what's happened since then? The pandemic is, is still with us. And, you know, we're being told that, okay, you know, n- now you need vaccines. And if you don't get vaccinated, you're going to lose your job. And even if you get vaccinated, that's not enough. You got to get vaccinated again, and you might have to get vaccinated again. So the, the whole bloom has been off the rose on the, the COVID handling cases. The You've got the, the mess in Afghanistan, which is getting worse by the day. You've got the mess at the border, which is getting worse by the day. And in, in perhaps the biggest thing, you, you've got the economy. Because at, at the end of the day, and you don't hear me say this very often, but, but Bill Clinton was right. When Bill Clinton first ran for office in 1992, um, the, 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 the theory, the thing was, it's the economy stupid. That That's at the end of the day, people care about all sorts of stuff, but they care about their pocketbooks. And I would argue today it's it's really two things that are voting issues. One, I, I think COVID continues to be a major voting issue for people. And the other, it, it remains just like it was for Bill Clinton in 1992. It's the economy. If you feel good about your future, if you feel, hey, I'm, I'm on the right track, if you feel that your job is secure, if you feel that, you know, you're advancing, okay, you're more likely to, you know, support the party in power. Well, I, I think a lot of people don't feel that way for a variety of reasons. But the biggest thing I think that's hitting home and is hurting Biden is the fact that inflation, which has been gone essentially gone for a long, long time, 10, 12 years, whatever. It's back, and it's back in a big way. What is inflation? Inflation is the cost of goods and services going up. People on Social Security got a got a raise. I think it was 5.9%, which was the largest in, in two decades, I think, on Social Security. And everybody says, hey, that's great. My Social Security checks are going up by 5.9%. Well, what they don't realize or what they fail to realize is the Social Security is tied to the cost of living. The reason people are getting a 5.9% increase in Social Security is because the cost of living is going up. And and actually, it's going up a lot more than that when you look at things like prescription drugs. But you you have inflation that is back. It is back in a big way. And it doesn't look like it's going to be halted anytime soon. As a matter of fact, you know, with all this stuff we talk about, about the supply chain problems and all the stuff that's stuck in the cargo ships. And, you know, even when it gets here to the ports, there's not truck drivers to, you know, unload it. Okay, all those things contribute to the cost of goods going up because it's just a supply and demand thing. You know, it, it doesn't help a store that, you know, hey, we've got this big order of whatever widgets 
that's sitting on a on a cargo ship, you know, waiting outside the port in Los Angeles. You know, if they're not on the shelves for people to buy them, that doesn't help. So if we've got less of those widgets that we can sell, and we've still got people that want the widgets, what happens? The cost goes up. So on so many different levels, you hear, hear inflation. It, it's coming back, and it's coming back in a big way. Uh, I don't. I've told the story before. I, I'm fortunate. I don't do very much shopping. My 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 wife does the grocery shopping, and she does a lot of the clothes shop. She does most of the shopping. Period. Because I just I, I I'm not a shopper. I I'll walk in if I need something. I can go in and say, hey, I, I need a couple, you know. Uh, Nine volt batteries for the smoke detector. So I go in and buy them, but I just don't walk up and down aisles looking for stuff. That, I'm not that guy. But recently, my wife has been coming home, and she's going to say, "You, you won't believe how much stuff costs." You know, she came home the other day and said, "You know, this bacon that you like." I mean, she said the bacon was was ten bucks. Said it was it was like four or five bucks not that long ago. It's ten bucks for the bacon. And somebody else was telling me about the cost of hamburger. Somebody else was telling me they went to one of these stores and and they were essentially all sold out of chicken. They they didn't have chicken, and the chicken that they had was priced at at incredibly high rates. So the cost of all this stuff is going up, and that's something that hits home in a big way when you go to the grocery store and you find that you don't have the buying power that you did before. You can't buy as much stuff. When you go to buy clothes, when you go to the hardware store, when you do whatever and you see the price of goods going up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Increasing prices, and we haven't talked about this for a long time because in general prices have been very, very stable. That's off the table now, and I don't think anybody knows how high those prices are going to go. I think this is a huge factor that is starting to impact on all of us on a da- on our daily lives. Now, for some people, it, it's it's a bigger impact than others. You know, gas goes up, you know, 50 cents a gallon. Well, for some people, it's just a nuisance. Okay, it's an extra 50 cents a gallon, which means it's an extra 5 or $10 a week or whatever that's going to be. I, I can pay it. Uh, do you like paying $10 for bacon instead of five? No, but if you want the bacon, you pay it. But for other people who, who, I don't know, might not be as financially well off as others, it becomes a really difficult situation. You know, how, how are we going to buy this stuff? How are we going to feed our families? How are we going to get the gas to get back and forth to work? And what does that mean we're going to have to give up? Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you, in your personal life, seen the increase in prices and is it starting to affect you 855-616-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line and my point is it might affect us differently depending on our individual financial situations but there's no question it's affecting all of us and it's affecting all of us in an adverse way 855-616-1620 we discuss Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, somebody texted me said, oh, you, you're, you're really going to tell people that inflation is back because your wife said that she had to pay more for bacon? To which I, I sighed and I just said, you know, if, if you don't think inflation is an issue right now, you, you really need to read more about current events and, and get out and see things. Here's another story. Um, gas bills, these are the productions. The forecast natural gas home heating bill 
Um, last year, same period, October 1st to March 31st, on average, and th- this is an average number, the season cost was $573. This year, they're expecting it to be $746. I mean, that, that's an apples-to-apples comparison. Inflation is um, back. Let's see. Um, Jeff, I have a family of seven. I've most definitely seen inflation hit the grocery bill in the last four to six months. I'm probably paying 150 to $200 more per month, all things being equal. Jeff, as an example, I was at Walmart the other night. They had an end case display of Pringles, you know, the, the sort of potato chip things. Two months ago, they had the same end case display of Pringles. Two months ago, it was a dollar. The other night, it was a dollar seventy. So, I mean, it's gone up, you know, 70 cents. I mean, you, you do the math, but a 70% increase to, just in a month. And I understand, well, it, it's Pringles and it's only going from a dollar to a dollar 70. But you multiply that over the universe of stuff that you're going to be, you know, putting, uh, that you're going to be putting in there in your cart and you see, you know, what's going on and you see what the cost is. Jeff, here's another thing. People need to look at sizes and weights of products. Not only are there price increases, but the amounts in the packages are also going down. Yeah, that's the thing as well that you see what we'll do the packaging and maybe you think you were getting 12 ounces and now it's 10 and a half and they're they're charging you as much for 10 and a half as they were for 12 before. Try buying peanut butter. Hearing a lot of people talk about how the price of peanut butter has just gone through the roof as well. 855-616-1620. Ron in Appleton. Hi, Ron. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, my, my concern was, it, it, not only is this impacting the, your personal life, but what about businesses? Yep. Frying oil has gone from $17 a, a container to over $45 for the same container. And when you're using six or eight containers a week, that's a lot. Like in a re- like in a restaurant, like in a restaurant, for yeah. example, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, you look at, you know, you want to talk about, you know, we saw a lot of. As I was talking about restaurants, we saw a lot of restaurants, you know, go under during the pandemic because they were forced to close and stuff. I think. I think this winter is going to be tough on a lot of restaurants because, number one, you can't find help in the first place. And number two, exactly what you're talking about, Ron, the cost of all these things are, are going up. The cost of, you know, try, trying to buy steaks. I mean, that's one of the big stories that's out there. These restaurants that sell beef, if they can find beef, the cost is absolutely through the roof. And, you know, how much of that can you pass on to the customer? Let alone we're having trouble finding uh, liquor and beer because they're becoming scarce. We use, we sell a lot of bottles of beer, but can't get bottles of beer anymore. Exactly. No, it, I mean, and if you, thanks for going right, you, you can't get bottles because there's the bottle shortage that's going on. It, it's just this. This is going to be a huge problem. And early on in the Biden administration, they, they came out and they poo-pooed it. You know, this is sort of a temporary thing. Don't worry about it. Well, it, it's here, and it is something to worry about. Jeff, we heat our home with propane. Last year, it was $1,096. This year, we're estimating that it's going to be over $2,000. As those, again, those costs go up. And this is what you have to end up, you know, this is what you have to end up doing. The costs going through the, the roof. This hasn't been a major issue in this country for the longest time. Prices have been stable. 
But that's not the case right now. And again, I appreciate it's a perfect storm of things. It's it's coming out of the pandemic. It's the supply line shortages and it's problems with that. But it's also in the supply and demand and the whole thing. And everything is spiraling. And like I say, it, it's great if you get a raise at work. Hey, your boss comes in and says, I'm, I'm giving you 3% more. Oh, that's great. You're making 3% more. But if the cost of buying stuff goes up you know, 5 or 6% or whatever, well, you're, you're still behind. Now, you're behind less if you hadn't had that raise, but but this is the ongoing battle. At, at the end of the day, it's what your money is worth. And right now, it, it's it's not worth as much as it was. And if you want to look at things that I think are driving the problems Biden's having in the polls, and there's many problems, and the one I think that's going to be the most difficult to deal with, maybe even more difficult than COVID, it, it's going to be, you know, the economy, because inflation affects all of us, and it affects lower income people more. Inflation is very, very regressive in that, you know, the cost of peanut butter goes up, uh, of a jar of peanut butter goes up, you know, $2 a, a jar. Well, okay, some people more inclined, you don't want to pay that two bucks, but it's not, it, it's just, two bucks that you have that you would otherwise use as something else as discretionary income. Other people, it's like, man, I can't necessarily afford to buy this peanut butter. And if I buy the peanut butter, I'm not going to be able to buy the eggs or the cereal or the bacon or whatever for my kids. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. It is an example of how times have changed. And I just make this observation. When I was a kid, the, the school day used to start with the Pledge of Allegiance. And, and what they would do, I mean, depending on whether it was elementary school or middle school, but what, what they would do is it would either be recited over the loudspeaker and everybody in the different classes would stand up and they'd put it over the loudspeaker and you'd say the Pledge of Allegiance. Or sometimes it was done in homeroom classes. Everybody would stand up. You'd recite the Pledge of Allegiance. And then you'd go on with, with your day. And did I mention everybody stood up? This is, it's just, it's what, you know, you did when you were in elementary school or you were in middle school or whatever. You, you stood up, you put your hand over your heart, you pledged allegiance, all right, to the flag of the United States of America. And it was never viewed as a, as a, as that big a deal or even anything controversial. Well, it's now, I guess, controversial in 2021. Here's the story. There's a teacher at Oaklawn High School in, in Chicago, outside of Chicago. And what they do, is in Chicago, they, again, at the beginning of the day, they have everybody stand up in their homeroom class and they do the Pledge of, of Allegiance, okay? Well, apparently on this, this teacher's door, he posted a sign which essentially said, all right, you know, when we do the Pledge of Allegiance, I expect everybody in my class, I hope you're sitting down here because this is very traumatic, I expect everybody to stand, you know, I, I want you to stand if you come into the class. Well, predictably, some child, obviously sensitive, saw this and said, I, I can't I can't believe Mr. So-and-so is telling us we should stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. And they run to the office and they 
bring to the administration's attention that, okay, that he's, he's got a sign that says he expects people to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Can you imagine it? And, of course, within 30 minutes, the whole school is in an uproar. The story is in the Chicago Tribune. The sign is taken down, and the school is saying we have taken corrective action to ensure that this does not happen again. We're not going to tell you what the corrective action was. And I think the guy hasn't lost his job, but I'm sure he was talked to. I bring this up because I understand there's some of you who perhaps feel, oh, why should we have anybody have to stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance? And the truth is, this is America in 2021, and we don't require that. At the same time, I don't know. Is the world really a better place today because we don't require people to stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance than it was maybe 15 or 20 years ago where it's kind of expected that, you know, to start the school day, everybody got off their sorry butts, stood up, put their hands over their hearts, and recited the Pledge of Allegiance. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, and this is by the way the last week of the Fall Home Improvement Showcase. We'll be back in the spring, though. It's presented by Great Midwest Bank and our featured sponsor this week, Ridgetop Exteriors. Specializing in roofing, siding, and windows do not miss out on the Ridgetop Advantage. Contact Ridgetop Exteriors today. Give them a call at 414-244-9416 or visit them at ridgetopexteriorsmke.com. All right. We've, uh, for the last two days, our news department has been talking about the, the ground, the groundbreaking downtown. Um, $420 million is being spent to expand the Milwaukee Convention Center, which is downtown. Not going to be done for, well, probably about two, two and a half, maybe three years. Um, but the idea is we're going to expand it. We're going to make the convention big center bigger. We're going to double its space. We're going to add 112,000 square feet to the main exhibition hall. It'll give it a total of three 300,000 square feet. We'll have a second ballroom. We'll have an outdoor terrace. We'll have meeting rooms. We'll have indoor parking. We'll have loading docks. We're going to pay for this by increasing the hotel, restaurant, car rental taxes located uh, that are imposed in here. So we're starting to begin all this, and, and we get done with this. Well, it's going to be great. We're going to have this this big, huge building waiting for the different conventions. All right. The, the problem is, of course, that even before the pandemic, uh, Milwaukee was having all sorts of trouble filling the convention center getting attractions to the Milwaukee Theater, which is the old Milwaukee Auditorium or whatever they call it now. The, the UWM Panther Arena sat vacant a lot of times. We, we, we weren't able to fill it before the pandemic. Now, I, a couple weeks ago, I was in Las Vegas, and I think I told the story. We Normally, I'm in, when I go to Vegas, it's normally like go out on a Thursday and come back on a Sunday for a variety of reasons. We went midweek this, this year. We went, we went out on a Tuesday, and we came back on a Friday. So we get in Tuesday around noon, you know, check into the hotel, start walking up and down the, the strip and walking around. I was stunned, absolutely stunned, by, by how just empty it was. 
during the days on Tuesday and Wednesday and, and Thursday. I was also stunned by how many businesses, shops on the Las Vegas Strip and in the various hotels, how many had, had just closed. I hadn't been there since really before the outbreak of COVID, and, and the toll it took was just unbelievable. Um, restaurants, you wanted to get into a restaurant, well, well, no problem. In places that I'd normally have to make a reservation a week in advance, I could call up that day and say, hey, do you have something at 7 o'clock? Sure, Mr. Wagner, 645 7, 7, 15, you, you name it, which was you know good from my perspective, but it made me wonder, you know, how, how is a place like Las Vegas, how is it going to come back? And I kept talking to people out there, and they said that, well, on the weekends – on the weekends, it was starting to come back a little with, uh, again, you know, leisure travelers, people coming out for the weekend. But they said convention business, it, which is really the lifeblood of that, that city, convention business w- wasn't back. And it wasn't, it wasn't there. The conventions were not non-existent, but almost no conventions. I mean, very, very few. And what they were finding is that, that their long-term forecasts were it was going to be a long time before conventions came back. And even if they came back, they weren't going to come back the same way they were before the pandemic. Why? Because lots of places got used to operating without having to go to people, you know, first person. Same thing true with business travel. You know, and and you talk to, like, lots of companies, you know, the pandemic shut down business travel, essentially, with the exception of, I mean, there were some people, I understand, if you, you know, worked in a a construction field, and you were you know selling something that went to a new arena. You know, you you had to send your workers out to you know measure the, the size of the stuff. You, you mean you needed to do that? But I'm talking about the general. We're putting the salespeople on the road. Everybody's going out, and you're going to do all this in person stuff. That that's been largely replaced by Zoom meetings. I understand that people hate Zoom meetings, but the reality is you can do a Zoom meeting for a fraction of the cost that you can do by having people travel. I think a lot of these businesses have just realized that, well, we're not saying that people aren't going to travel at all, but it's not going to be anything like what it was like. So convention business down, and I think a lot of people don't think it's coming back. We always struggle to get the big conventions, and now we're talking about $420 million to expand a convention center that we had a lot of trouble filling in the first place. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want you to look in your crystal ball because we, when, when it comes to spending money around here, we do some of the damn dumbest things imaginable. I mean, we, we've got, again, don't get me started on the streetcar, but you know, we're, we're at a point now where we're raiding other city revenue to pay for the operation of a, of a streetcar that nobody rides. And now we're taking $420 million at, at a time where the convention business is pretty much dead and we're expanding, doubling the size of a convention center that we had trouble filling before the pandemic. 855-616-1620. Is this going to be a giant white elephant? Now, look, no, nobody would be happier than me. If five years from now, Milwaukee, Wisconsin has been 
the become the medium-sized convention center of the of the United States, and and that we had and we're, we're never going to get the giant conventions that go to Vegas or Orlando or things like that. Um, but but we if we were in a position where hey we are the first choice for all those not big enough conventions to be in again in in Las Vegas or whatever, but we're going to be getting all that business and we're we're filling that convention center on a weekly basis and the hotels are all jammed and it's all great. That would be wonderful. Five years from now, that's happening. I'm sorry. I I just don't see it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a $420 million white elephant that we are breaking ground on? We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, here's... Here's the key to this, and the Journal Sentinel has a story about this, and uh, so we're spending $420 million to double the size of the convention center, and it's going to be paid by, by taxing people who go to restaurants, it's going to be paid by taxing people who rent cars, it's going to be ta- paid by taxing people who, who stay in hotels, and I understand that's, well, it's out-of-state people that are coming in for hotels, well, okay, maybe, you know, your your relatives are coming in and you're not putting them up at your house, well, they're going to be paying for that if they're staying at a hotel or things like that, but but here's, here's the key to this. This is a massive undertaking and an expansion. We're doing it at a time where convention business is non-existent, and even the desirable places for conventions, they're, they're dead, and, and they know that they're going to be dead for the foreseeable future. Business travel, the same thing, but, but here's the operative thing, and it's, it's in the Journal Sentinel story. Project backers say that it makes sense for the publicly funded expansion to proceed. Let me stop there because, again, this is this is people who aren't spending their own money on doing this. This is we're going to get it from other people. They say it makes sense to proceed because they're not going to finish it till early 2024, and by then conventions and other large groups are expected to be again booking events at pre-pandemic levels. So that's what the, the, there's two bets that are going on here. First of all, that the convention business over the course of the next, you know, two years, the convention business is going to be back to where it was before the pandemic. I think that's pie in the sky. I, I think people are just kidding themselves if they're saying that, because I think candidly, there's some things just like 9-11 changed air travel forever, the, the, the ways that we do things. I think the pandemic has changed a lot of the ways that businesses operate and that this idea that, hey, we're going to we're going to have people from all over the country that are going to pour into these different conventions and we're going to spend all this money to put people on the road. I, I just don't see it. Will will the convention business come back? Well, yeah. Will it come back to pre-pandemic levels? I, I wouldn't bet on it. Maybe I'm wrong, but I wouldn't bet on it. And the second factor then is even if the convention business comes back, will will by making an expansion, have we suddenly done something that makes Milwaukee more desirable as a place to have a convention in December or in January or in February or in March? And and my answer is probably not because for those large conventions that we're competing with, you know, it's not just the size of the facility, it's not just the size of the ballroom, but it's also the fact that people like to go out and do things and Unfortunately, unless you can figure out a way to dramatically change the weather around here between like November and February and March, 
you're always going to be losing out to some of these warm weather uh, destinations. Jeff, the expansion of the convention center is the second biggest waste of money in Milwaukee after the empty streetcar. During my working career, I was responsible for paying for meetings and travel of people who reported to me. I loathed paying room taxes, local car rental taxes, high sales taxes in metropolitan areas on meals. We never got the value for it. This is another golden goose that is going to be gored. Um, yeah, I think that there's an element of that, that that's out there. And it's all this kind of pie in the sky, you know, thing. Um, there, there's no question. Now, somebody else is saying, well, no, I think we should do this because, you know, I work for a global large company and we're planning for a sales convention in February of 2022 in Miami. <laughs> the first one since the pandemic. Well, okay, you've you, you've got there, but of course, it's a convention that that's in Miami in February. You're not coming to Milwaukee in February. Now, w- will we do conventions like as long as Northwestern Mutual is headquartered here? Will they be bringing agents in as they do every summer? Well, well, sure. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, Jeff, what was so great about the pro pan? What was so bad about the pro pandemic, pre pandemic convention center? Well, the argument was it was too small, but it, it it was empty a large point of the time. Anyways, we we weren't regularly attracting conventions there. The idea is, well, gee, if we build it bigger and spend four hundred twenty million dollars, all of a sudden people are going to start to want to come. Well, maybe, but don't hold your breath. I mean, it's really it's the same argument that justifies or attempts to justify spending four, five, six hundred million dollars to expand the streetcar. Well, yes, we know that nobody's riding the streetcar now, but if we expanded it to other places, then maybe just maybe. Maybe we'd get more people likely to ride it. Well, okay, maybe, but those people that are riding it, you'd probably save money by buying each one of them a car or giving them a bus pass or something like that. Jeff, don't you understand? We have the best weather in the whole country. Of course people are going to flock to our new convention center in January. Um, No, no, I, I guess not. Now, Maybe I'll be wrong. Like I say, we'll have a good idea five years from now if the convention business is back and if suddenly Milwaukee is able to get itself on the map by attracting those conventions that previously it was too small for. Not going to hold my breath on either one, though. In the meantime, whenever you drive by that construction site downtown, $420 million is going into that hole. This is a con- this is Jeff Wagner, and this is a conversation which, which is just it's being held by Republicans, some leading Republicans who want to hold higher office, and the conversation is just is just dumb, and it's being played out by, on the the front pages of the newspaper, who's got which has got its own agenda. Rebecca Clayfish, former lieutenant governor, she is the leading candidate for the Republican nomination to take on Tony Evers, which means I think she'll be in the, a favorite in the clubhouse to, to win and be the next governor. So the local newspaper is, is throwing everything they can against her. You've got the Democrats that are aligned against her. And now you have some Republicans that are aligned against her. Um, over the weekend, and, and this it's amazing to me that this story was run front page above the fold. All right, Rebecca Clayfish was talking to a group in Door County, and she said, look, here's the deal. If we're going to win the elections in 2020, 
2022. We need to stop looking in the past. You know, we, we can talk about the stuff that went on in the 2020 election, but, but we need to focus on the 2022 election. We, we need to, and her phrase was hire mercenaries. She said, you know, we, we've been depending on like these volunteers and things like that, and, and that, that just wasn't good enough. We need to do what the Democrats did. They had all these paid operatives that went in and did all this stuff. We need to, to use that. We need to do that. And, you know, we're complaining about, you know, ballot harvesting, which is this questionable practice of having people, it's like democracy in the park. It's having, you know, people collect ballots from other people and then turn them in. I personally think ballot harvesting is illegal, but it's very up in the air. There's not a court ruling that says that's the case. And I don't know if we're going to have a court ruling before the 2022 elections on this. Republicans tried to reform the election system to make it clear that you couldn't do that, and Evers was having nothing to do with it. So the state of the law is that ballot harvesting, things like democracy in the park, um, if if they're held again, unless a court intervenes, they're, they're going to be found to be legal. So what Rebecca Clayfish is saying is, hey, we need to do the same things that the Democrats did, okay? You know, if if this is going to be the practice, and this is going to be what is sanctioned by the courts and adopted by the Election Commission, and if this is the tactic that the other side is going to use, well, we better wake up and we better start doing the same thing, or else we're going to be looking at the same results in, as in 2020. Now, I'm sorry, I don't think that anybody can argue with that. To me, that, that makes sense. You can say, I don't like this practice. I think this practice should be illegal. I think that, you know, maybe as applied it is, but we can't get courts and the election commission to say that. So as long as this is the rules that we're going to operate on, we better be playing on the same playing field that the other side is. Now, to me, that is just common sense. And so into this, you have... Well, Kevin Nicholson, who's a Republican candidate for lots of stuff, he's not announced for anything, and he's saying, well, that comment's dumb as a bag of hammers. Well, it, to, to which you want to just go up and figure that speaking, slap somebody and say, are you, are you nuts? I mean, all she is saying is, look, these are the way elections are run. You know, yes, you can reform elections. Yes, I think we should reform elections. Yes, I think we should get legal rulings on what can and can't be done. But as long as these are the ground rules that we're operating under now, we, we better be doing the same thing the other side is, or we shouldn't be surprised if we end up having fewer votes in 2022. That, to me, is not dumb as a bag of hammers. That's just kind of common sense. And for people who don't get it, you need to get your head out of the sand. You need to stop trying to re-argue 2020, and you need to say, okay, we got to figure out what's going to happen in 2022 to win elections. And that means we got to use the same tactics that the other side is using, and we've got to do it just as well, or else we better be prepared to lose elections. Period. What's controversial about that? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, do you have any, tre- any trick-or-treaters? I don't know if we will. In the past, we haven't seen a whole lot where yeah. we live in Shorewood. Just depends on what neighborhood you're in. Sometimes we'll get, you know, 20 you know, but not not an overabundance of, of trick-or-treaters. I, I used to love Halloween. When I lived in Whitefish Bay, mm-hmm. we, we lived about a block and a half off the lake, and it, it was it was neighborhood. The houses were close together, and, and we would get a ton of kids. And, and also, and this this never bothered me, we, we'd have kids 
from other areas yeah, exactly. that would come in and and for, for me as long as as long as they're wearing costumes and they say please or thank you i'm cool with it's that some good. people oh they're, yeah. you're not familiar i never no, mind, minded cares? that and, yep. yeah that my that was always my attitude yeah, if, if, you, if you don't want to participate and and my late wife was really into trick-or-treat oh, so she'd yeah. she, she'd spend a ton of money on halloween <laughs> candy, candy yeah. and we'd always have that and we'd we'd be given you if you came to the wagner house you, you'd be doing well but this you know i've been where i live now for the last few years and mm-hmm. and it's we get no kids. I mean, yeah. I get no kids. And so I don't know what I'm going to be doing because I think where I live, it's Sunday afternoon and my wife is going to Florida on Sunday morning. So I got to take her to the airport. So it's just me and I, it's just me and the dog. And I, I, I doubt we're even going to be laying in candy because the temptation will be to, for me to eat it if, if, well, <laughs> if I, I was going to say, I mean, there's an option. You could just leave a big bowl outside and just trust that people will stop by and take a few pieces at yeah. a time. I, you but, know, but in the area where I live, there, nobody there's has nobody kids. That, yeah, there, there, nobody yeah. has kids and you'd really have to, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, I mean, I, there, nobody has kids. And so, and it's not like, again, like in Whitefish Bay where you can mm-hmm. park and you've got, you know, a ton of houses. We, we just, well, all I'm saying is for three or four years, we've never had any kids. And I'm, I'm really surprised where I live in Shorewood that we don't have more, but we would see them. Like last year, there wasn't trick-or-treating. The year before there was, we had kind of a bonfire and we had the, the candy out and the kids would go by. We could see them going on, like, on the streets right. beside us, but then not coming down our streets. So it was like, well, how come they're doing that? But right. maybe, maybe this year will be different because everybody wants to get out and, and, and enjoy the stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I, I, I love Halloween. And, and like I say, there, as long, my, my rules were always, I, I mean, I, I did admit I would object sometimes where you'd have the, the, the kids who were 16 and looked like they were 25 not wearing a costume. <laughs> oh, they yeah, would come sneaky. up as kind of like... Yeah, yeah, it would be, but but um, that was really me, Jeff. Was that you? No, you, no you'd be wearing no, you'd be wearing a costume. <laughs> I, I, get I get that, but it's um, you know, no no problem with that at all. So in any event, it, it is Halloween mm-hmm. this weekend, and thankfully the weather is going to be nice, and um, a lot of uh, neighborhoods have it in the afternoon, which is nice. And some people have it at night too. I that's what I miss when I was a kid. They used to have Halloween at night. Oh gosh, it gets so dark so early, and I mean, yeah. Right. Safer for kids if it's not super late. Yes, yes. And, of course, daylight saving time ends not this weekend but next week. It's the first Sunday in November, which is late this year. So we we get to – we fall back an hour, but that's not till a week from Sunday. Yes. All right. That's all you need to know about Halloween. All right. Should New York City blink? Now, I I have been intrigued – by this story since these vaccine mandates first came down. And I always need to, to preface this. I am pro-vaccine. I, I've been vaccinated, got my flu shot the other day, got my flu shot a week ago Monday. When when my number comes up for the, the COVID booster, I'll get the COVID booster. I I just, I, I'm pro-vaccine, all right? I encourage people to get the vaccine. But for a variety of reasons, there are people who, who choose not to do it. Sometimes it's it's religious objections. Sometimes it's because of health concerns, whatever. There are people, and, and I know some really smart people who have just made the decision that they're not going to get the, the vaccine. Okay, so a number of employers are now saying as a precondition to getting uh, to working, you, you have to be vaccinated. There is in Wisconsin 
it is not light at the end of the tunnel. It is a train coming the other way because there are rules in place that essentially say by mid-November in, in nursing homes and assisted living facilities, all the employees have to be vaccinated. And I will tell you, I'm, I'm only hearing this anecdotally right now, but um, at, at the time nationwide there was a shortage in nursing homes. Uh, they were down, they, they already had vacancy, about 25% vacant to begin with. And at least as of a month ago, about of those the people that were still working there, about 40% were unvaccinated. I am hearing from lots of people who work in these facilities that um, there, there's still an enormous number of people who are not vaccinated. And I understand there's people who say, well, of course they should be vaccinated. And Okay, that's all well and good. But when you start firing people, who, who's going to cook the food? Who's going to change the sheets? Who's going to provide the, the care that the residents need? And I'm, I'm telling you that... When this rolls around, if this is in fact implemented, you are going to see nursing homes and assisted care facilities shutting down, trying to find other places to transfer patients. And if you have somebody in one of those facilities that's dear to you, it's going to be a scramble. That, that's just the reality. Well, that is playing out in New York City as we speak. The mayor of New York set a drop-dead deadline of tomorrow for employees of the city to have had their first dose of vaccination. And this doesn't include just people who works in the mayor's office. That includes This includes all public employees, including firemen and police officers. The uh, f- police department and the fire department have challenged these vaccine mandates in court. They said this is illegal, and so far they've lost. Okay, well, here's, here is the deal. The fire chief in New York, now this is as of yesterday, so you know we, we have one more day. The fire chief in New York yesterday said as it stands now, just 65% of our firefighters, our fire officers, and our EMS workers have been vaccinated. 65%. So let's look at it the other way. That means 35% have not. And the fire chief is saying, I don't think that you're going to see any dramatic increase. Most of the people who've made that decision not to get vaccinated, they're, they're locked in. The fire department of New York is preparing to close down as many as 20% of all their fire stations and take an equal portion of their ambulances off the street. So one out of five fire stations is going to close and 80% of the ambulances will be operating. The police department, the numbers are about the same. Let me see here. Um, They estimate... Right now, 63% of police officers who work on the streets of the city have been vaccinated. Now, that's as of two days ago. Um, overall, 75%, but that includes, like, you know, people who work at desks and stuff. But of the cops that are on the streets, 63%. They estimate that as of now, about 6,000 remain unvaccinated. And if the mayor's order takes into effect, those those 6,000 
or however many are left after two days, those 6,000 are not going to be eligible to come to work on Monday. They're going to be put on unpaid leave, and they're given like 30 days, and if they don't have a vaccine, if they're not vaccinated within 30 days, they are fired. So you're, you're looking at thousands of street cops who are going to be pulled off the job. You're looking at one out of every five ambulances off the street. You're looking at 20% of the firehouses closing down. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this, this, the conversation isn't about should people get vaccinated or not. But what we're seeing play out in the real world is a lot of these employees have decided that they are not going to be forced into getting vaccinated and they're willing to walk away from their jobs, at least short term, for this. So if you're the city of New York, do you blink? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you don't blink, how do you handle the fact that, gee, 35% of our street cops aren't on the street right now at a time where, just like in Milwaukee and just like in Chicago and just like in Baltimore, crime is going through the roof. 855-616-1620. What do they do come Monday? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, the Florida governor, said he will give any police officer that signs up in Florida $5,000. Florida has no vaccine mandates. Florida weather, New York weather, Democrats do nothing right. I, I just, well, I, I mean, look, I... I, I just th- I throw this reality that, that's out there, and this is coming from somebody who's been vaccinated. But this this is the problem with these vaccine mandates, and there's this general assumption that that people won't walk, and some people will in fact walk, and you're starting to see that. And the question becomes, how much of that are you? How can you continue to? operate, for example, a city if, if all of a sudden a third of your street cops aren't there on, on Monday because they've chosen not to get vaccinated. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jackie in Sheboygan. Hi, Jackie. Hey, Jeff. Um, I'm an EMT with my local fire department. We are a voluntary department. And when I had the chance originally um, to be vaccinated as a first responder, I jumped at it. I said, absolutely, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And I was vaccinated right away. I Even several weeks ago, I was eligible for my booster, and I went and got that right away. And I was shocked at the amount of coworkers that I have at the department that chose not to be vaccinated. Right, right. I, I just don't understand it. We have treated patients, so many patients um, that have have been COVID positive that I, I'm sorry, you never forget the look on someone's face as their oxygen saturation mm-hmm. is dropping and they are sucking down your your bottled mm-hmm. oxygen so fast and they're panicked. Um, it's there's nothing like um, the feeling of not being able to breathe. Right. And after seeing that. In so many patients, I don't understand why. But but, I, I but they are. But, but right. But the reality is, these people that you work with, are, are, for whatever whatever reasons, and I, I get it. I'm vaccinated too. But they've made the decision not to. So, so you know what, what's going to happen? What, what's going to happen to your department if if just if theoretically, if, if a third of those people that you work with can can no longer work? I mean, how, how's the department going to function? 
that's just it. We can't. Yeah. We can't function at that level. And unfortunately, it's going to put all of our, our citizens in danger. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so okay, you're the mayor of New York, and, and you're, mm-hmm. you're faced with this. You've got this mandate in place, but... It, 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 I mean, the, the rubber is now meeting the road. So the, the fire chief goes to you and says, Ms. Mayor, here, here's the deal. We've got this mandate in place, but um, we, we still we've got 40 percent of our workforce that is not vaccinated. And my guess is most of them aren't going to be vaccinated by Monday. We're looking at having to close one out of every five fire stations and take one out of every five ambulances off the street. Should we rethink the vaccine mandate? What do you say if you're the mayor? <laughs> Oh, I would, you know, honestly, I'd want to know why. I'd want to know why they think that it's that it's an issue. Um, to me, it's never been um, a rights issue. It's a public health issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you cut out that many first responders, whether they be law enforcement or fire or EMS, you're putting the public at risk, um, yeah. at direct risk. I- and it, it, it frightens me to think what would happen in, yeah. in that scenario, what they're what they're doing. I don't know. I okay. really don't know. <laughs> okay, fair enough. No, no, I, I get it, Jay. Th- thanks for calling. I mean, I, I just, I, I bring this up because I, I understand there's probably a lot of people that are out there. And I, I mean, look, and I hear from people on both sides of this. I, I have folks that say, you know, I had COVID. I have recovered. I believe I've got the antibodies. Um, I, I'm just, I, I'm, I don't believe in getting vaccines. I don't get a flu shot, et cetera. I'm willing to take my chances. And, 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 I, and I understand all that. The but the thing is, you, you can only go so far as to making people get it. And, and this is what I said a couple months ago was going to happen, that, you know, you would get to a certain point where, you know, you, you, it then it, it, you hit that drop dead deadline. And what are you going to do now? I, I don't see how New York at this point in time can can blink on this. But if, in fact, if, in fact, it, it's true that you've got. 63 that you got to lay off you got to tell 6000 street cops not to come to work on Monday my my gosh it's going to be looters paradise in in New York isn't it let's talk to Dave in Cedarburg hi Dave hi there uh i think they should stick to their guns i think there was another employer i don't know if it was american airlines or somebody that did it and right at the 11th hour a bunch of people got got vaccinated mm-hmm. you know the people that don't get vaccinated if you get covid you know what's amazing Jeff, is that they're still willing to go to the hospital and have their lives saved, okay? Yeah. But they're not willing to get a vaccine. So maybe they should say, you know what, if you're not going to get a vaccine, good luck because you're not checking into the hospital and using scarce resources. Do you know what it's costing to treat all of these people? Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a guy, I had a friend of mine that I grew up with, smoker all his life, didn't believe in the vaccine, died last week of COVID. Yep. I, What's it going to take? Yeah, but I, I mean, thank you. I, 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 I understand, and I just I don't want this conversation to be about should people get the vaccines or not. We've we've you know we, we've had that conversation a lot over the last six or seven months. This this is a different variation of it. It's not. Gee, should hey, you're a street cop. Does it should you go get it? Okay, that that's fine. But you know we're we're not going to the, the only the only hammer you have on that street cop is that if if you don't have the vaccine, if you haven't been vaccinated, you're you're not going to be able to work. And if the person says, "Fine, I'm not going to be able to work," 
okay, that, that, that's what the, the penalty is. Now, if, if it's only a handful of people, you can, you can get by with that. If on the other hand, it's 30% of your workforce, well, that's, that's a big deal. If you gotta close one out of every fire station, I mean, we talked the other day about, you know, TSA, and, you know, TSA has this requirement, and there's only, I, I might have the number slightly wrong, but only slightly. There's like about 40% of the TSA workers who, who aren't vaccinated, and they don't think their drop deadline is November 21st, a couple days before Thanksgiving. And you know, can you imagine if, if all of a sudden with that air travel, if all of a sudden you know, you've know you got 25%, 30% of the TSA workers that can't work, you're going to be in two-hour lines, you know, standing, by the way, in very close quarters to travelers who may or may not be vaccinated. I mean, I raise this as this issue right now people are dug in and i know when we we came up with these mandates and stuff everybody thought this wasn't going to be a problem well i think we're going to find out starting next week that it's much more of a problem than we originally thought okay when we come back let's find out what john and melissa have on their minds for wisconsin's afternoon news